The following podcast is intended for adult audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The Iron Realm Chapter 4 Chieftain of the Goblin Tribe In the Chieftain's Chamber, Stockholm and the others stood at Spearpoint. Echo was terrified that, after enduring months of abuse at the Goblin's hands, that soon she would have to pay the ultimate price, and that it had therefore all been for nothing. Len closed her eyes and prayed to herself. Words came to her, which she knew were meant for God, and as she finished the prayer, the final words were, And deliver us from evil. Amen. In the dark, only Stockholm knew how many goblins there were, and what was in the room. He had counted fifteen, plus four very large bodyguards. When the chieftain finally entered, the head goblin towered over all the others. He was enraged, having been awakened from sleep to deal with this problem. He bellowed a command, and a slender elven woman entered from a side chamber, carrying a tray upon which there was a tankard and a leg of mutton. Stockholm realized that she was the chieftain's personal servant. The elf girl's eyes met Stockholm's for a moment. She could see him through the gloom, and she mouthed words to him in a language he could understand. Help me. Why have I been disturbed? Bellowed the chieftain. He took the meat and cracked his teeth clean through it, bones and all, then tossed it away, only half-eaten. And why are these inferiors not in the pits mining my gold? His eyes lingered on each of them, one at a time, through the gloom. Len shuddered in his presence, because the words he spoke sounded only as growls and roars to her. He was close now, because she could feel his hot breath on her face. She closed her eyes, but did not move from the spot as the chieftain examined her and sniffed at her hungrily, perhaps tired of mutton. Leader, said one of the goblin guards, these slaves from the pits were found robbing the gold that belongs just to you, lordship. The goblin waited for the anger of the chieftain to rise before continuing. (laughs) The elf girl stood alongside the massive goblin, quietly, her long arms crossed in front of her as the chieftain fumed. Is this true? He roared. It is not, shouted Stockholm, and a goblin bodyguard hit him with a club and said, Shut up, dwarf. You talk when you are spoken to. Solus's eyes darted helplessly back and forth in the dark, trying to understand what was going on. He moved to Stockholm, but was stopped by a sharp spear and forced to return to his position. It is true, Lordship, said the goblin guard. It was a conspiracy. These ones armed themselves and started a revolt in the tunnels. Our men are putting it down as we speak. The chieftain, nearly white-hot with anger, roared a terrifying roar. (laughs) Thieves! Usurpers, your punishment is death. But you die painfully. Oh yes, one at a time in agony. 
You have conspired against me, and now you will die! And before you do, you will know who it is that is king of the maze. If we must die, said Len to the others, I want all of you to know that even if the road was short, at least we die together. Bones, yelled the goblin chieftain. I want a female with a mouth to die first. I don't know what she's saying, but I'm tired of hearing her speak. What is he saying? Whispered Len as the bows were suddenly trained on her. And then, a sound rose up from the hall. Apparently the other slaves, creatures, had escaped the unguarded pit that the men had come from and were running riot outside the chieftain's chamber. The chieftain took his shield and great spear which hung from the wall and commanded his bodyguards and some of the other goblins to follow. Len, for the moment, was spared. Only four guards stayed, and these went out to the hall, locking the door from the outside with a massive crossbar. At the throne, the elf, who would identify herself as Treya, pushed a hidden lever and activated the sliding floor. The goblins don't know the way, she said. The throne moved aside, and the group wasted no time dropping inside. Somehow, they had escaped. As the throne slid back into place above them, they fell to the hallway below. Now it was time to put as much distance between themselves and their captors as possible. Welcome back, everyone, to the Iron Realm. Today I give you episode four. Last time we met, the characters had made their way into the crystal room where they were fortunate enough to find some sharp stones for their own defense. We also discussed mapping secrets, which you shall be able to put to use today. Your Maze Master has quite a show for you coming up, so sit back, relax, and enjoy. Iron Realm! Onward, ever onward. Character 8 While listening to the Iron Realm, it is your option to create your own character and play along. And there are two ways to do it, depending on whether you wish to roll dice or not. In today's Character 8 segment, we will be focusing on your character design, initial statistics, and basics for gameplay. Which means, if you design a character, you'll be playing along before the podcast is over today. Let's begin. The very simplest way to play, the no-dice method, can be accomplished by you with great ease. Simply decide what kind of character you want to play, from the basic seven classes, fighter, cleric, wizard, rogue, elf, dwarf, or halfling. Once you've made your decision, come up with a name and a description for your character. Your character is considered to have shared fate with the character on the podcast who has the same type as yours. On the other hand, if you're interested in using dice, then don't choose a character type just yet. You and I can roll the stats together, and based upon the stats you roll, you may choose a character type that suits the stats best. In order to play the dice-rolling version of the game, you will need three six-sided dice. On a clean sheet of paper, make a space to write down each stat. As I name off the stat, 
roll three six-sided dice for each one. Add up the total and place the number beside it. First, the physical stats. Strength, dexterity, and constitution. Next, the three psychological stats. Charisma, intelligence, and wisdom. Next, create a section for life points. Let's put a zero in here for now. In your life points section, please include the following two lines as well. Maximum life points and life points per level. In parentheses, beside life points per level, note the following. Includes constitution bonus. We shall further detail character 8's life points shortly. Now, create a section for luck points. Luck points are only available to the 8th character and can be helpful for getting you out of a jam. Whenever you are required to deduct life points from your total, you have the option to remove luck points first if you have any to spare. There is no limit to the number of luck points that you may have at one time. As a gift from your Maze Master, you may begin the game with six luck points. Near the top of the page, note that your character is level one. Your character will rise one level any time that your shared fate counterpart rises in level. Your character's level cannot rise higher than that of your shared fate counterpart. Finally, create a separate section on your page for items. Anytime your character acquires items in the game, you may add them here. For now, you can add the following item to your list. Sharp Rock. You have no other items. Next to your items, make a large space to list off your character's powers. Whenever it is revealed that your shared fate counterpart has a power, you may add it to your list as well. For example, the dwarven or elven ability to see in the dark. Of the different character types, each of the seven has a defining stat. If your character has a high value in your type's defining stat, this may aid you greatly in the game. Before we go further, let me outline the defining stats for each of the seven types. Check your own stats to see where your best options are. A fighter's defining stat is strength. A strength of 13 or higher will give a bonus. A cleric's defining stat is wisdom. A 13 or higher will give a bonus. A wizard's defining stat is intelligence. A 13 or better will give a bonus. A rogue, also called a thief, has dexterity as his defining stat. A 13 or higher gives a bonus. A dwarf's defining stat is strength. A 13 or greater gives a bonus. Note that even though a dwarf's defining stat is strength, you must have a 9 or better constitution score in order to play a dwarf. An elf has two defining stats, strength and intelligence. Additionally, you cannot play an elf unless your intelligence score is at least a 9. A halfling has two defining stats, strength and dexterity. Note that you cannot play a halfling unless both your dexterity and constitution are 9 or greater. It is possible to raise your defining stat, but to do so is costly 
If you wish, you may take two points away from one of your stats in order to raise your defining stat by one. During character generation, you cannot raise a stat above 18. Additionally, you can never lower any stat below 9. Further, it is not possible to lower constitution or lower charisma. Remember, if you choose to do this, you may only raise your defining stat one point for every two that you remove from another stat. Make any adjustments now that you wish. With your character's stats finalized, let's take a moment to note any bonuses you may have. For any stat, which is 13, 14, or 15, note a plus one bonus next to the stat. For any stat that is 16 or 17, note a plus two bonus next to the stat. And if you have any stat that is 18, note a plus three next to the stat. For any stat that does not have a bonus, simply write in a zero. Unlike the rest of the group, character eight does not suffer any penalties for low stats. I guess character eight is a cut above the rest. In parentheses, next to constitution, write life point level bonus. Then, in parentheses, next to your defining stat, or defining stats, write fate bonus. If you have not done so already, be sure to list your character's type near the top of the page. And in parentheses, note the name of the character with which you have shared fate. Either Solus the Fighter, Kailana the Wizard, Len the Cleric, Echo the Rogue, Treya the Elf, Stockholm the Dwarf, or Temek the Halfling. It's time to assign some life points. If you are a cleric, add six to your life points. A fighter or dwarf gets eight life points. A wizard gets four life points. And a rogue gets four life points. Additionally, an elf or a halfling gets six life points. However, if you have a high constitution score, you will have to adjust your life points further. If your constitution is a 13, 14, or 15, add one to your total. If your constitution is a 16 or 17, add two to your total. And if you have a constitution of 18, add three to your life point total. Now that you have your life points total, transfer this value also to max life points and life points per level. Your life point total will rise and fall during the course of the game, but it cannot rise above max life points. If character 8's life points ever fall to zero or lower, you have died, and the game is over. Time to draw up a new character at level 1. Remember, you are assumed to have shared fate with the Iron Realm character who shares your type. For example, if the type you have chosen is Halfling, then you will have shared fate with the character Temek. Whenever Temek gains life points or loses them, your character will also. Whenever Temek picks up items or loses items, you must do so as well. That said, there are exceptions that will allow you to avoid shared fate. There are two times when this can occur. One, if your shared fate character takes life points of damage, you may make a roll 
in order to avoid the damage. The second time you can resist fate is when your counterpart is required to make a save versus death and fails. In either case, you may roll 3d6 to avoid your fate. Should you roll a 16, a 17, or an 18, you have avoided your counterpart's horrible fate. If your character has a bonus to fate or any other modifiers, you may add this to your dice roll as well. Only if your final total is 16, 17, 18, or higher will you avoid a horrible fate. A character with two defining stats may only add the bonus from one of those stats. Your choice. Although a roll against fate can save you from peril, rolling a six or lower will bring a worse fate upon your character than if you had not attempted the roll. If your roll is a six or lower after modifiers, or if you have rolled a natural three, you must suffer an additional one life point of damage for every level of your character, in addition to the damage that your counterpart has already taken. If your counterpart suffered damage in the form of life points, but you succeeded at avoiding fate, then take the value of that damage and add it to your luck points. If your counterpart failed a save and died, but you beat fate, then your character has survived, even though your counterpart has perished. If your counterpart has perished, but your character has survived, then it is permissible to choose a counterpart of another type for the rest of the game. You now know the basic rules. Good luck, and I'll see you in the realm. Tribal Matters. It is 9.20 a.m. On the first day of Primaris, the group is on level one in the Crystal Room, which is located at 38 across, 8 down, by 40 across, 13 down. The characters have full life points. They are sufficiently rested and fed. They are not desperate for water as of yet. Stockholm and Solus stand guard at the door. When we last left the tribe, the group had just arrived in the crystal room. I'm going to revise the amount of time spent in the room and say that the amount of time required was three hours on top of what I suggested before. That's based on the idea that Echo was checking for traps and it takes 10 minutes to thoroughly search a 10-foot by 10-foot area. That brings the time up to 12.20. While inside a closed room, a roaming creatures check only has to be made once every two hours. Let me just make that check now. No roaming creatures. While Echo is checking the room for traps, I'm going to say that the dwarf Stockholm is taking advantage of the light. He finds that the rock he has discovered is sharp enough for him to actually carve patterns into his arm. Stockholm is going to work with Solus in order to recreate the map so far upon his own bicep. I have memories to preserve as well says Treya. She takes some time with her own stone, and into her own arm, she carves various runes and symbols. What are you doing? says Kailana. I'm saving these spells, says Treya. Treya painstakingly recreates each detail of the spells she knows, a scratch at a time into her own skin. 
to serve as her own spellbook. You seem to know something of magic, says Treya to the human female. What spells do you know? I, I don't know, says Kaylan. I can't remember. Perhaps it will come in time, said Treya. I will teach you to meditate upon it when we next take sleep. Treya is a first-level elf, therefore she has two spells. Her first spell is Reader of Magic. The other I shall determine randomly. Treya is essentially in the position of having no spellbook, and so she has to recreate these spells from memory. That is a painstaking process. But since the characters have several hours of downtime, and she only has two spells, I'm going to rule that she can recover her two spells in this way. Of course, Treya is still going to need some time later in order to memorize these spells. At this point, she is merely transcribing them. There are 12 basic spells at first level. I roll the 12-sided die. Treya's second spell is Aura Against Evil. As for Kailana, I'm going to suggest that she's never actually cast spells before, so she's not going to be able to receive any until she's had a chance to meditate with Treya. Since the characters are going to be hungry and thirsty, I'm going to suggest also that certain rooms in the Iron Realm may contain basic sustenance in the form of mosses or lichens growing on the walls, or may otherwise contain moisture since the walls could be damp. I'm going to allow a 20% chance of either. If the group is able to discover such fortune, it will keep them sated for the rest of the day. I have to imagine that it would take a bare minimum of one hour to extract sufficient nutrition or moisture from the wall in this manner. The first check is for food. A 24. Not good enough. The second check is for moisture. An 11. The crystal room is neither humid enough, nor does it support any kind of edible plant matter. With this discovered, the characters realize they must move on. They have to find food and water before the day is out. I'm repositioning the characters into their standard marching order. In the front, Stockholm and Solis. Behind them, Len and Echo. In the center, Kailana. Coming up from behind, Treya and Temek. They are positioned at 38 across, 13 down, which is just to the north of the door. Back into the darkness, they go. Just south of the door is a straightaway of one square. After that, a crossroads. The characters move west from the crossroads. The characters reach a T with the base pointed north. The characters exit the T to the west. Next, the characters encounter another T. The base of this T points east. The characters exit the T to the north, and the passage continues in this manner. One square to the north, two squares to the east, one square to the south, and one square to the west. The passage is finished in a dead end, and the characters must retreat. The characters return to the center of the last T that they were in. The characters take the T to the south. As they exit the T, they find a straightaway, nine squares long. The characters continue to move cautiously until they reach the end. As they travel south, they reach an L-turn, which points to the west, and then a second L-turn, which points south. Then the passage U-turns to the east. The passage moves one square to the north, and then one more square to the east. The characters are standing on 31 across, 29 down. The passageway dead ends into an open doorway, which is on the east wall. Stockholm puts his hand out 
to slow Solus, and as the two fighters in the front slow down, the others do as well. Stockholm peers ahead into the room, using his night vision. Stockholm peers ahead and sees three goblins in the room. Clearly, they have come from above, and they are searching for their slaves. Surprise rolls. The characters are not surprised. The goblins are surprised. As soon as Stockholm sees the goblins, he tells his group, Attack! The group runs into the room, waving their stones at the goblins, and striking as they may. The room is completely dark, so the humans are at a disadvantage. Solus, however, will have a bonus of two to his hits, because Stockholm is guiding him. Temek will have a bonus of two to hit, because Treya is guiding him. I'm going to rule that the dwarf and the elf can only guide one companion. The goblin's armor value is 6, and Stockholm attacks the first one, yet he fails to strike it with only a 5. Solus attempts to strike the same goblin. He is at a minus 2 to hit, but has a plus 2 for his strength. Nat 20 for Solus. Whenever a nat 20 is rolled in melee combat, the damage is doubled. Solus deals 6 damage to the first goblin, and the goblin is killed immediately. The second goblin whirls around to find Treya there, attacking him with her stone. Treya rolls a natural one. That means she will lose all of her attacks this turn and next. Temek attacks as well, still guided by her words, but fails to strike the second goblin. Len attempts to strike the second goblin and fails. Echo likewise attempts to strike the second goblin with her stone yet fails. Kaylana ducks in as best as she can, attempting to strike the second goblin as well, but is unable to do so. So ends the first round in the dark. Next, the initiative roll. The characters score two. The goblins score five. The goblins must check to see if they will flee since one of their number has been killed. They decide to stand their ground. They will not flee. Goblins hate dwarves, so they decide to both attack Stockholm on sight. The first one attacks and strikes him. The second goblin strikes as well. The first goblin, armed with a dagger, deals three damage to the dwarf. The second goblin is also armed with a dagger and deals three more to the dwarf. The dwarf recoils, hurt badly by these attacks. The dwarf attacks the second goblin, striking him, and the second goblin is killed. Solus comes up from the side, attempting to strike the third goblin, but is unable to do so in the dark. Treya shouts instructions to Temek, and the halfling moves in for a strike, but fails to strike the third goblin. Here, says Len. She and Kailana move in. Both girls strike, doing a total of five damage and killing the goblin. Realizing that all the goblins are slain, the characters take a moment to check on each other. You're hurt, says Solus to the dwarf. Yes, says Stockholm. But I'll be okay. He grips the wound in his side, trying to contain the bleeding. I'll be okay, he repeats once again. The characters go through the goblins' belongings, pleased to find three daggers that they can use for their own defense. They pass the daggers to the dwarf, Stockholm, the fighter, Solus, and the elf, Treya. The goblins are worth five level points each. The characters search this room for anything that may sustain them. The room does grow with lichens and moss. The characters spend the next hour harvesting and consuming what they may. 
the dice say there are no roaming creatures during this time. Perhaps in the Iron Realm, this is the best treasure they could have hoped for. <laughs> You have been listening to The Iron Realm. If you would like to show your appreciation and to support new episodes of The Iron Realm, visit patreon.com slash theironrealm and be you rewarded. Finally, tell your friends and spread the word about the world's first play-by-podcast RPG audio drama. Your fellow travelers... And your maze master, thank you. From the eternal depths of the Iron Realm. I have been your maze master, Abel Enzo. Remember, play hard or go home. Iron Realm! Good night, everyone.